Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, how are you all doing this morning? We uh, have had a great time of worship, and I want to commend the worship team lifting up the name of Jesus. Rebecca and I were here at your church We sat in the back, I think that's legal at times, (laughs) and uh, about a month ago, and Cody was preaching. You know this young guy up here, Cody? You know, it was a great sermon on the book of 1 John. I still remember it, great message, how wonderful it is for me to be back. Now, I preached here about a year ago, and at that time, I was a year younger, You know, the good thing about old age is it doesn't last very long. You know, uh, Boca Raton, I sometimes get to preach in Florida, Boca Raton. That's where old people go to visit their parents. And uh, there was an old man who was sitting across the table from a woman. He was a widower. She was a widow. He said, would you marry me? And she said, yes. The next day, he could not remember how she answered. But he did have her phone number, so he called her and said, you know, yesterday we had a great time, and then I asked you whether or not you'd marry me, and I have no idea how you answered. And she said, I said, yes, with all my heart. But she said, I'm so glad that you called because I forget who it is that asked me. (laughs) Actually, that's funnier than some of you understood it to be. It's great to be here. Now, many of you have thought to yourselves, you know, we'd really like to go to Israel someday. Go across the Sea of Galilee in a boat, sit in Gethsemane, contemplate what Jesus did. So I'm going to mention that, God willing, this March, Rebecca and I are going to be leading a tour one more time, and it'll be our last. Hope that you can get in on it. Here's what you do. You go to moodymedia.org. Can you all remember that? MoodyMedia.org, it has all the information. And when you're there, may I humbly say that there's a book I've written entitled The Church in Babylon. It deals with issues like that the church faces today, whether it's immigration, transgenderism, false doctrine. The Church in Babylon. I'm such a good promoter that I totally forgot to bring any copies. But uh, go to MoodyMedia.org and you can find out all the information that you need. Now this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak to you on the topic of how to survive a storm. Because even though I don't know your names for the most part, and by the way, yes, Lisa Dykstra is our daughter, and that's why we have such a strong tie to the church, and my uh, son-in-law right here is Ben. But you know, no matter what your name is, no matter who you are, I can tell you this, you are either coming out of a storm, you're in one, or you're headed for one. Because every one of us has a storm that we need to survive and get through. 
Maybe it's an economic storm. Maybe it's a health storm. Maybe this past week the doctor told you things about your body that you thought could only be true of someone else. And now you've got that to cope with. Maybe it's a legal storm. I was talking to somebody the other day. He said, I'm involved in a court case and I'm about to lose my family and my possessions and everything. And uh, I even have been involved in a legal storm years ago. They're terrible. No matter what your storm is today, no matter how you define it, one thing is true. There are many people who live their lives crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the anxieties of tomorrow. You know, there are so many topics I could talk about, church-state issues, when the state becomes God, the relationship of the church and culture. But today I thought that what I would do is simply edify you and give you some encouragement on getting through that storm. And you know that this church is so up-to-date and so competent in what it does, it even has my outline in your bulletin. What I want you to do when we go through this is fill out the blank, and then I want you to take that sheet of paper and uh, paste it on your refrigerator because I assure you the day is coming when you will need it. How to survive a storm. And you know what we're going to do at the end? We're going to have a prayer and we're going to give all of our burdens to God. Some of you are going to go home, you're going to stand on the scale and you're going to weigh 10 pounds lighter, just getting rid of all of your anxieties. So let's go. The passage of scripture is found in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, and I'm going to read the text. And uh, we're going to begin at about verse 22, Matthew chapter 14. Now, do you still bring your Bibles to church? Oh, I know you're a millennial, and so you have your cell phone, you have your iPad, you've got your jackhammer, you've brought all the technical equipment. But you know, if you could just look up here for a moment, this actually is a Bible. Do you see this up here? This is a Bible. And it's Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time, uh, but, by, but the boat, I should say, by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Just that far for a moment. You're here today, and could I ask you a question that may refer to you. If you and I had a private conversation, what you would say is, the wind is against me. Series of bad decisions in the past, issues that seem to be unsolvable one after another, the wind is against you. How do you survive a storm? Well, we're going to plunge right in, and in your bulletin, you have seven, uh, seven principles on overcoming or surviving a storm. So we're going to get right to it. You fill them out, cut off that part of the bulletin, tape it onto your refrigerator. That's the agenda. First of all, remember this, that storms are often encountered in obedience to Christ. 
Storms are often encountered in obedience to Christ. Let me ask you a question. Were the disciples in the will of God when they got into that boat to go to the other side? Of course they were in the will of God. Don't you wish that you had the will of God that clearly? Get into this boat. Jesus talking to you. Get into this boat and go to the other side. We'd give anything for that kind of clear direction. Yet in obedience to Christ, they experienced one of the greatest storms that they had ever encountered on Galilee. And you and I, if you're in a storm today, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're out of God's will. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've married the wrong one or that you've made the wrong decision or that the things that have come against you that other people have done against you. Those storms are often encountered while we are obeying Jesus. Let me remind you that the smoothest path is not always the holiest path. Sometimes the holiest path is the one that is fraught with more problems, more obstacles, more wind than you and I can possibly imagine. It was the Holy Spirit, remember, that drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Could I say it? Jesus is sovereign. He prepared that storm for the disciples. He sent them into that storm that was a storm designed just for them. So be encouraged today. Just because you're in a storm doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. Doing God's will often encounters storms. Well, let's hurry on and go to a second principle that is so important. And storms should remind us of God's promises. Storms should remind us of God's promises. And thank God to all of you who are taking notes. I don't know what's happening in the back row. I like to keep my eye on the back row. But uh, it's the front row where I see people taking notes. And I want you to know that because you're sitting in the front and you're taking notes in heaven, your crown is going to be so heavy that your head will have to be tilted. All right? <laughs> Now, secondly, notice this, that storms should remind us of the promises of God. You say, well, where is that in the text? I'll tell you exactly where it is. Jesus said, get into the boat and go to the other side. Now, if the creator of winds and oceans is the one who tells you to go to the other side, you can be sure that you will make it to the other side. And I like that amen, by the way. Did you know that in Indiana, it is still legal to say amen in church? <laughs> I really think it still is. Someday it might not be, but so far, we can still say amen in church. But notice this. If the disciples had listened carefully to the words of Jesus, they could have enjoyed that storm. There was no way that that boat would drown. Because, you see, on it was Thomas. On it was... Peter, who had not yet written his two books in the New Testament. On it was John, who had not written the Gospel of John or the Epistles of John. And, and God still had work for them to do. And Jesus said, get into the boat and go to the other side. And they could have been absolutely assured that they will make it to the other side if they had only listened to Jesus. When you're going through a storm, what you need to do is to cleave to the promises of God. 
Now, I have to tell you, it is not true that every promise in the book is mine. When I was in Sunday school, we used to sing that. Because God made some promises to Abraham that don't apply to me. But there are dozens of promises that we should cleave to, that we should memorize. For example, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake you. Did you know, by the way, in Greek, there are five negatives in that text? I will no not leave you. I will no not forsake you. God says never, 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 never. You cleave to those promises. You think, for example, of the promises in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 that says that there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God, whether it be tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, that means absolute poverty, or sword. For in all these things we're more than conquerors. For we know that God loves us and he goes on loving us. And your trial and your storm does not separate you from the love and the care of God. But what you and I have to do is we have to get used to the unpredictability of God, right? Because God does all kinds of things that I wouldn't do if I were God. And what we need to do, though, is to keep on trusting. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to believe God? It's hard to believe the promises, but ah, such faith is more precious than gold. So that's number two. Let's go on now and let's look at the third lesson, and that is, oh, is this one critical. If you miss them all, don't miss this one. Even when we cannot see Jesus, Jesus can see us. Let me ask you, could they see Jesus out there on the hill? Those of you who are coming with us to Israel, you're making that decision. This afternoon, you're going to moodymedia.org. When we're going across the Sea of Galilee and you see the hills there, could they see Jesus on one of those hills? Of course not. It was the dead of night. But Jesus could see them. He knew the longitude and the latitude of their little boat. He knew the strength of every wave. He knew the speed of the wind and the depth of the water. And there are times that are so dark, that are so difficult, we can't see God. I have a friend with whom I played tennis for about uh, 40 years, and uh, not that many, 20 years, I should say, and his name was Mark, and he had terminal cancer, and he was telling me how that one time he was in such pain, he left the bedroom, sat on the couch, and he said to me later, he said, Erwin, all faith just drained from my soul. And there are times like that when we can't see God, and that's why, by the way, we need others. I know that you have small groups in this church because there are times when other people have to see God for us because it gets so dark, we can't see God. But even when we cannot see God, God sees us. He knows your marriage. He knows your circumstances. He knows your heartaches, your sorrows, your encouragements, and your failures. And my dear brothers and sisters, this morning, when push comes to shove, as it often does in life, it is more important that God see us than that we see God. I thought maybe that guy out there would say amen after that, but hey, I'm all right. I'm all right. Even when we cannot see God, God sees us. 
And the disciples had to learn that they were not outside of the eyes and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that's number three. Shall we go on to number four? Thank you for giving me permission to do that. Jesus comes to us in the right time. Well, we have to pick up the text now and read it, don't we? You'll notice that the wind was against them. And now in verse 25, I think it is, Rebecca and I have been to an optometrist for the last three years, every year, getting new prescriptions for our, our uh, glasses, and we have never gone to get the prescription filled. We have to be home at least two days in a row to do that. That's an exaggeration, by the way. But you'll notice it says, And in the fourth watch of the night he came walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost! They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He comes to us at the right time. When did Jesus come to them? Four o'clock in the morning. Came to them when it was the most difficult, when it was most dark, most tired, most helpless. You know, the Sea of Galilee isn't that far across certain points, about seven miles or so. And they began in evening, and now it's four o'clock in the morning, and they still aren't on the other side. Can you imagine how tired and weary they were? But at the point of their desperation, Jesus came. And brothers and sisters, sometimes Jesus waits until we're desperate. You know, one of the things that we find in life is that Jesus comes at the right time. By the way, I'm thinking of Abraham. He was about to sacrifice his son, and there he is with a knife. And this knife is about to go into his son Isaac, and there's a voice from heaven just at the right time saying, Abraham, don't do that. And he discovers then that there is a ram caught in the thicket whom he offers instead of his son, Jesus the Father came to him exactly at the right time. Desperation. God loves desperation. Are you desperate today? You are a candidate for God's blessing. Rebecca and I know a woman who uh, was involved in a lifestyle of immorality, and that was actually her livelihood. You can fill in any details that you want at that point, but she said to us, she said, often I prayed, and I said, oh, God, get me out of this lifestyle. But he didn't. And then she said, one day I was so desperate. I said, God, get me out of this lifestyle or kill me right here. Kill me right here. Let me die right now. And she meant it. And she said, that was the day that she walked free. God loves desperate people. Why do you think he puts us in positions that are often so desperate and so helpless and so hopeless and so discouraging is he wants our attention. And God gets our attention through trials, through storms, and he wants to bring us to that point of desperation. Well, we're here hurrying through these, aren't we? That's number four. Let's go on to number five, our fears. 
might be Jesus in disguise. Our fears might be Jesus in disguise. By in disguise, I don't mean in disguise, like fly disguise of United. I don't know if there's some feedback here that is my fault, but we'll just keep going on. But our fears might be Jesus in disguise. In other words, we don't recognize him. That's what they, they were, they saw Jesus walking on the water and they, they feared. They said it is a ghost. It was believed in those days that spirits, when they die, when humans die, they have ghosts. And this is a parenthesis that I throw into this message that I've never said before in this context, but you're such nice people, you need to know this. There are evil spirits that accompany some people because they're in the occult, and when they die, those spirits may remain in a building or something, and we call it haunted. There are ghosts, but the ghosts are demonic spirits. But nonetheless, they are fearful, and they say, it is a ghost. But it wasn't a ghost, it was Jesus. And the wind that brought them the storm is the wind that brought them Jesus. But he was in disguise. He was in camouflage. We don't recognize him as such. You know, Rebecca gave me an article I wish I had kept. It was about a couple who had a special needs child. And this child just ruined their life. I mean, they wanted to travel. They wanted to do all these things. Now God gives them a child that has to be taken care of 24-7. Their lives seem to come to an end. What do we do now? Oftentimes in those situations, a marriage gets worse rather than better, but they decided that they would hang in there. And this article was written about 12 or 13 years later when the child was that age. And this woman said, we didn't know it, but in that baby, Jesus was coming to us. We did not know the great blessing that would come to us as a result of this child. Because you see, at first you see it, and it brings fear, and it brings questions, and it brings all this, but eventually you see this is Jesus trying to put his arms around us. It showed us our sin, it showed us our selfishness, it brought us together, it was Jesus. My friend Mark with whom I played tennis. And I'll give you another freebie thrown in here, just between us, okay? Tennis players often make very bad husbands because to a tennis player, love means nothing. <laughs> so, one day before he died, and it would have to be before he died, come to think of it, I said to Mark, I said, Mark, have you ever thanked God for your cancer? He said, oh yeah, I thank him every day. He said, heaven used to be a very theoretical place, but now it has become very real to me. Well, I can tell you this, when he was told he had terminal cancer, he was not thanking God for it. I remember when we were still able to play tennis together, when the game was over, we'd sit down and we'd cry together, and he'd tell me all about his fears and his questions and his anxieties and and all those things. He, he didn't see God in cancer at that time. But, hey, write this down. Those of you who are taking notes, God bless you. 
in acceptance there is peace. In acceptance there is peace. And once he began to accept it and to see God in it, he knew that it was Jesus coming to him and putting his arms around him. But he sure didn't think that was the case when he got the news. Sometimes Jesus comes to us in disguise. We don't recognize him. Well, we have to hurry on. Number six, if you're taking notes. Number six, the water that threatens to be over our heads is under his feet. The water that threatens to be over our head is under his feet. Here is Jesus walking across the Sea of Galilee as if he were walking on a marble floor. He's just able to walk across the water. He's the creator of the winds, the seas, and he walks, and that which the disciples feared, namely drowning, namely water, was safely and confidently under the feet of the sovereign Christ. And today, as you think about your storm, and by the way, we're going to give those storms to God. You're going to leave without them. But as you think about your storm today, I want you to visualize Jesus. The Bible says he is above every principality and every power and every name that is named, both in this world and in the world to come. And God has put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. I love that. And that includes your storm is under the feet of a sovereign Christ. And that which you fear, Jesus is walking over it with absolute total confidence. Amen. Amen. The gentleman is helping me here a little bit again. Thank you, brother. The water that threatens to be over our head is under his feet. I want you to see it that Jesus is under excuse me, above your storm. See him there. And by the way, the worship team this morning, as we sang about Jesus, exalted him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, we're going to have number seven. It's on its way here. Uh, number seven, first of all, I have to pick up the text and read it. You'll notice it says, verse 28 I think that looks like an eight. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, now, just between us. I've been a pastor for many years. And... Uh, those of us who are pastors, maybe it's even true of Cody and Doug, sometimes we pray long prayers, and that's good. But there are times when only a short prayer will do, and that's when you're about to go under. I love this, three words, Lord, save me. Short prayer. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him. Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, Peter gets out of the boat to walk 
on water. Now, I have to tell you folks, everything today is just between us. Sometimes we as preachers, you know, we preach about Peter and we say, oh, you know, if only he had kept his eyes on Jesus. Yeah, I know that. And that boom is for emphasis. I get that. But give him credit for getting out of the boat. There are many people who would never fail in life because they never take any risk. They never try anything. I'll tell you this, a wet Peter is better than a dry Thomas. Get out of the boat and take some risks for Jesus. But now I want to ask you, okay, if, if you had your cell phones in those days, uh, you know, and you'd have taken your videos, everybody's taking videos and selfies and all those things today, you'd have actually, for a time, had two people walking on the water. There's Peter, he's walking on the water too. Someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Peter, what was it really like? <laughs> you know, I mean, I've never walked on water, I've tried it and nearly drowned, but... You know, what was it like to walk on the water? And two people are walking on the water. But when he saw the wind, you and I are greatly tempted to see the wind. Now let me ask you something. What was Peter's greatest problem? Was Peter's greatest problem the uh, depth of the water? Was it the height of the waves? Was it the speed of the wind? No. To Jesus, it didn't matter how fast the wind was blowing or how deep the water was. I mean, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. I mean, he can take care of all that. That was not Peter's problem. At the end of the day, Peter's problem was a lack of faith. And you and I lack faith because we find it difficult to keep our minds off of the wind. You say, well, how then do we keep our eyes on Jesus? Thank you so much for asking. Let me one more time refer to my friend Mark. One day I said to him, I said, Mark, how do you remain peaceful when he was going through the last stages and then eventually died? I said, Mark, how do you remain peaceful? How do, and he went to a drawer and pulled out a laminated sheet of paper with about 120 promises on it and said, when I become fearful, when I can't stand it and wonder, he said, I go back to the promises over and over and over again. So, you know, there isn't any quick formula. What you and I need to do is to cleave to those promises that I talked to you about, memorize them, and keep our minds on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and not look at all the wind. It was weak, but I'll take it. It's the wind that distracts us. By the way, do you notice Jesus is the immediate Jesus? Look at verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them. Peter is about to drown, and Jesus immediately reached out and took him and saying, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Immediately, immediately. Now, Jesus comes to us in our storms. You know, Jesus could have stayed on the shore and said, peace be still, and everything would have been still. And he could do that. He could just stay in heaven and say, let things get better. But he actually comes and walks 
to the disciples in their storm. And by his blessed Holy Spirit, he comes to us in our storm too. He isn't the distant Jesus who's way out there. He's the present Jesus. And, and what he's saying to us today is to say, come. You may be here today and you are not a Christian. You've never savingly believed on Jesus. Jesus would say, come. Tony Evans, whom you hear on the radio, a friend of mine, great preacher, he was telling me about, well, I think this was in a sermon, but I verified the story with him. They were on a boat and they were on a cruise and uh, over the intercom came the words that uh, we're headed into a storm, so buckle up. His wife, Lois, didn't like this, so she phoned the uh, captain, spoke to his assistant, and said, if we're headed into the storm, why don't we just put down anchor here and stay until the storm is over? And the assistant said, I'll talk to the captain and get back to you. So the assistant calls back and says, uh, the captain has two things to say to you, and I don't know exactly the words that were used. I'm sure they were very diplomatic, but they were something to the effect that uh, I'm in charge and you're not. And then the captain said this. And I don't want you to forget it. You're taking notes. You write this down. All right? I want you to get this. He said, let her know that this ship was built with this storm in mind. And my dear friend, today, if you trust Jesus as your Savior... If you trust that captain who was dead and was raised again and taken to heaven and sits on the right hand of the throne of God, I'll tell you this, he died and was raised again and was victorious with your storm in mind. And what we're going to do is to give him our storms. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a few moments. And I want you to be able to concentrate. I want you to think of your storm. Think of three storms, no more than that. What are your greatest storms? I want you to think about them because we're going to give them all to Jesus. So, take them and give them. But before I do, I have to give you an illustration. Rebecca and I frequently fly to Europe. And we're going to be flying to Tel Aviv with some of you who are going with us to Israel. And um, let's suppose we're on our way to Frankfurt, Germany. And years ago, and of course you can't do this today, but let's pretend. And after we get into the uh, flight for a couple of hours and we're flying across the ocean, what if I were to say to the flight attendant, would you check to see whether the pilots are awake? Now, I know you can't do it today, but years ago, security wasn't as big an issue. And she were to come back and say, yeah, they're awake. An hour later, I think to myself, I've known people who have actually fallen asleep in an hour. I wonder if I could ask her if she'd check. So she checks and comes back and says they're awake. And I'm so embarrassed to ask her again, but we're talking about when does this flight get to Frankfurt and so forth. And so I say to her, well, now that we're talking, would you check on whether or not these American airline pilots are still awake? And at that point, she becomes exasperated and says, let me make a deal with you. I'll pour you a cup of coffee if you promise to step outside and drink it. 
And then she says, you don't really trust. You're insulting these American airline pilots. And it would be true, I would be. And you and I insult God every day. We give him ourselves and then we wake up in the morning taking all the burdens back and saying, oh, all those burdens are coming back and we take them on our shoulders again. And the Bible says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And after this prayer, when the burdens come back, don't accept them. Affirm the fact that these burdens have been given to God and you trust this pilot, this captain, to take you all the way to the other side of the lake and to survive the storm. And by the way, some of you aren't going to trust that pilot, that captain, until your boat is smashed on the side of the shore. But nonetheless, those who trust him, suddenly the burdens become lighter. You and I weren't created to handle anxiety. We handle it badly. I handle it badly, and so do you. Can we just name those burdens, those storms, and give them to God? Now, some of you won't be able to. One woman said, Pastor Lutzer, you want me to leave my anxieties alone? If I were to leave them alone, she said, I'd have nothing to think about. All that I think about all day is anxiety. So you're going to have a struggle. Begin the struggle here, complete it later today, however long it takes, and give your storms to God. I want everybody now to bow your head in prayer. I want you in your heart to name to Jesus the transfer of your storm into his arms. He's walking above it. Father, deliver your people. People have come here today with huge burdens. They've come here today with hearts filled with anxieties and fears and wonders. And Lord, we're just human. We can't help that. But what we can do is give those to you. Now, to bring deliverance, Father, to that wife, to that husband, to that teenager, to that young person. Can we just have a moment of absolute quietness while you pray now and give your storm to God? Father, for those who do not know Christ as Savior, may they come to you and cleave to that captain. And for those of us who know you but take upon ourselves burdens you never intended us to bear, bring us deliverance, we pray. Free your people. And we shall thank you in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.